Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'll kick 360. We're playing the parlay music as we begin live at 6th and Peabody with our studios alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson making the show happen for us. David Reed is the chairman of the board. New time slot is here. Afternoons in Music City. It's amazing. I thought that a 2 p.m. start that Jacob Swanson would be more awake at 2 p.m. than 11 a.m. But apparently you know, this is this may be. I feel like Jacob maybe has, parlay, has parlay. a Spanish type ethos where he's really a Spaniard, siesta. and this is siesta time is usually 2 to 5 p.m. in Spain. Maybe that's the clock that he's working on right now. I've been known to siesta at 2 o'clock, but I'm ready to uh, Paul's a, adjust. Th- Paul's a rare <laughs> midlife napper. You know, most kids are early in life nap a lot in the, in the day. Then you get really old and you nap. You, you really seem to have picked up napping in your 40s and 50s, which is different. I'm not averse to a nap when you there's not. time for a nap, but uh, there's no time for a nap in this schedule, and so there'll be no napping. Let's forge ahead with the content of the day. Big news uh, to begin from the weekend with plenty of NFL headlines is now upwards of 900 players across the league are going to be cut by 3 p.m. tomorrow, 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, A little over 500 of those players will be re-signed to practice squads and roster decisions made. A lot to preview there as some cuts are already being made. Some players are going on the COVID-19 reserve list today, including Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. Uh, This comes about 12 hours after news came out that he was going to return to practice for the first time. It's not happening now. Uh, He's now on the COVID-19 reserve list along with Ryan Kelly of the Indianapolis Colts. Deshaun Watson, is he about to be traded to the Miami Dolphins? Gardner Minshew was traded this weekend uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Rookie quarterbacks on full display in preseason week number three and much, much more. Uh, We were on hand to watch Justin Fields take the first half snaps at Nissan Stadium against the Tennessee Titans uh, for the Chicago Bears. College football kicked off this weekend where Nebraska was not good, to say the least, against Illinois. Uh, among other games, and we will see the Tennessee Volunteers take on Bowling Green this Thursday night as uh, among the, the first games of the weekend. And Chad, they've named a starter in Joe Milton. Plenty to discuss in the Tennessee Power Hour coming up at four o'clock Central Time. We got a big show for you. Uh, we got a bigger show because we're now three hours instead of two. Based on your viewpoint, that's either a positive or a negative. If you love us, you love the fact that we're extending one hour, and if you hate us. Maybe you wish we went back to two, but too bad for you. We're going to be three hours today, (laughs) and that third hour is going to be spent talking about the Titans, talking about the Vols. But right now, I want to talk about another team that's very important in my household, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and what was an epic collapse to open a season. Uh, Nebraska killed our parlay, and I think they killed some of their fans. 
uh, to open the season at Illinois. Uh, that pivot, was disastrous. Pivot point for the program? To begin. I mean, I don't know that it's a pivot point because it's just more of the same. You know, Scott Frost said after the game, I've seen this movie. We've seen this movie play over and over again, and I told the guys after the game, this can't be the movie of this year again, the way they came out and played. But that is squarely on Scott Frost. I don't see this team having any type of identity. They're really poorly coached. You can call it whatever you want. You can only blame the players for making mistakes so many times. But when you have a veteran in Cam Taylor Britt that fields a punt at the one and runs in the end zone and gets tackled in the end zone for a safety and then tries to chuck the ball out of bounds in the last second, when you have these foolish mistakes negating big plays for your team in the game, you have special teams errors throughout. This is a coaching issue at Nebraska, and we've seen it with other programs, but it is amazing to see just how far Nebraska has fallen. And not just that, guys. This was the hire. I would put Tom Herman in that category, the way he failed, but not to this level at Texas. I mean, he was, um, he was Vince Lombardi at Texas compared to what Scott Frost has done so far at Nebraska. But Tom Herman was the no-doubt hire at Texas, didn't work out. Scott Frost coming home with all of his success at UCF, all of his success under Chip Kelly at Oregon, and he has fallen flat on his face. And not only that, he's doing so under an NCAA investigation now. And that is Illinois and Brett Bielema in game number one. This was a team who hasn't won consecutive games against the SEC, or the SEC West, the Big Ten West, ever since they split up and went into divisions. Really, really bad uh, time right now for Nebraska and Scott Frost. I'm, I'm watching this game on Saturday, and the backup quarterback for Illinois comes in, Art Sitkowski. Artur Sitkowski. Artur Sitkowski. Yeah. And they hand off on the first eight snaps that the backup takes in this game. Ninth play, first pass attempt, intercepted. And going back to Chad's point, a penalty negated the turnover and gave the football back to Illinois. Uh, so many issues in, in that regard with penalties, uh, with turnovers by the Nebraska offense. Um, it looked like a poorly coached team. And I thought the biggest, the, the biggest glaring issue was their lack of urgency late in the fourth quarter down by two scores. And you would have thought they had a two-score advantage by how they were approaching the football and the line of scrimmage and how lackadaisical they looked uh, down by two scores. There, there was no urgency whatsoever with that team. That falls directly on coaching. That is a mere reflection of what's happening on the sidelines. And if that's the case, um, one loss shouldn't just turn and, and turn the tide on how they view Scott Frost because, Chad, I know you were saying the fans don't want him out. Uh, Nebraska doesn't want him out. This is an internal investigation that they're, that they're doing on behalf of the NCAA. Um, look, uh, it, it's not good. And no. when, when, you start, when you start going down this path, there's really no point of return because Nebraska doesn't look like a team that's going to play very hard at this well, point. One of the things about this game, first off, this Sikowski finishes 12 of 15, 124, two touchdowns, super efficient. Paul the Rutgers on a team transfer that, also. He was at Rutgers before he's Illinois. Yeah, on a team that isn't that good. And then if you go to the stat thing and go down the two columns, you know, look at those lines. Everything's pretty even, except time of possession where they crush them. So all of the things you're talking about, the coaching stuff and the and the sloppiness, those are the things that decided this game. On the numbers, it looks like it should be a one-point game, the way 
the rushing yards, the passing yards, the, 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 all that stuff is relatively even throughout the game. It's all the stuff that you're talking about that seems like uh, the, the coaching and the things that keep a game neat and tidy and keep a team in it that are missing. So not just the way the team looks and some of the silly mistakes the players make being a reflection of coaching, but coaching being a reflection of coaching and little decisions, not little decisions, but easy decisions that become big, bad decisions. Nebraska had a quarterback sneak on first down and wasted precious time late in the game because they didn't think they got the first down. And I was so confused watching in real time when they said it was fourth down because I assumed the sneak was to get the first down. But the refs ruled it a first down, and late in the game, Scott Frost wastes the play by having a quarterback sneak where he didn't think he got the first down. Those are inexcusable type decisions. I thought Scott Frost showed some rare humility after the game for the first time, talking about his mistakes, and he owned up to that decision late in the game also. And he was a little bit more contrite than he's been, probably an NCAA investigation on top of that loss, on top of a 12-21 and overall record. Now one game into year four at Nebraska will do that to you. But this is an existential crisis at Nebraska. Because if this doesn't work, what will? They fired Bo Pelini because eight and nine wins wasn't enough. Bo Pelini looks great right about now for Nebraska. This is the same thing that's going on at Tennessee. A lot of people are making the comparison. By the way, you want to draw a, a strict comparison between the two? Jarrett Garantano was recruited by Butch Jones. Adrian Martinez was recruited by Butch Jones. Adrian Martinez was committed to Tennessee first. And then when Butch Jones left, he went to Nebraska because that was more of a fit for him. It's Nebraska's inability to recruit over Adrian Martinez that could be the downfall of Scott Frost. I think it was the downfall in many ways to Jeremy Pruitt. Sure. Because he inherits Jarrett Garantano and could never do better than trotting him back out there. Adrian Martinez plays hard. He's a good runner. The kid can't pass. Mm -mm. You can't play quarterback at this level when you can't throw. He's got no good trying, instincts in passing. Are they trying to recruit over him? Because at good, Tennessee, it didn't seem like they, won't, they were even... Oh, they're, yes, they're I mean, I guess they're trying, but the problem is when you continue to look at practice tape, we talked about this with Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee also. It's very similar programs Pruitt, right now with Tennessee Pruitt Nebraska. did recruit over him. He had Harrison Bailey, and for whatever reason, they, they didn't want to play him. Yeah, and Harrison Bailey came in, and while he wasn't great, was, was better than Garantano. It's this insistence on what I see in practice is what I'll see in the games versus what I've seen in games for three years, yeah. and now a fifth year with, with uh, Adrian Martinez. That should be what you expect with a player, and I don't know how Scott Frost doesn't see this. I understand he gives them a good rushing option. I think it's also not a good thing in today's game when the quarterback run makes up the bulk of your running game, which has been the case with Adrian Martinez in Nebraska. I don't know that's good to rely on that, but that's where they are right now in Nebraska, and there's going to be a lot of soul-searching, not just within that team, but within that fan base of what can we be, what should we be. It should be a lot better than this. No one's denying that. But if Scott Frost isn't going to work in Nebraska, what's your next move? What should realistic expectations be for that program? Because, again, I'll go back to firing Bo Pelini because winning eight and nine games. Bo Pelini got them to a Big 12 championship game when he was there. That wasn't enough in Nebraska. Well, what's enough now? And you're seeing other programs face this same dilemma. Texas has been in a similar spot. Tennessee is in this spot now. What is a realistic expectation 
every Nebraska fan, every college football fan can tell you it's better than this, but what is it exactly? We don't know. And what will it take? How bad does it have to get this year for them to fire Scott Frost, one of their own? Yeah, and how attractive is the job after that? When one of your own came, couldn't do it, and was beloved into, you know, not very good football stage of his progress. It's still attractive. Yeah. I mean, Philip Fulmer was one of Tennessee's own, and he was let go, and they replaced him. Yeah, but for, I mean, for the level of candidate the fan base thought they were going to get, they didn't get, right? Well, I also think you at could... At AD? You could no, look at, at it... At, at coach. No, I mean, you could look at they it as... Well at AD. You know, they... The fans are so... I, maybe I'm a glass half full guy with these type of things. I, I, first off, I think you're foolish if you're not a head coach somewhere or you're a head coach of a smaller program and you don't take the Nebraska job. Nebraska yeah. is still an all-time great place to be in college football, and it's got tons of resources, it's got an enormous fan base, very committed. You're going to make a lot of money in Nebraska. Now, can you recruit in Nebraska the way Tom Osborne recruited? No. Because everybody's on TV it's now. It's different. Nebraska yeah. sold that they were one of the few teams on TV every week. So they went into Florida and California and Texas and got their skill players. And they had an amazing uh, beef-up program with their linemen from the state of Nebraska and Iowa. And that they were dominated running an option and bringing players like that in. Now, what is Nebraska now in the Big Ten West? I still think they're one of the three programs that should win the West each year. Even with all the hard times they've fallen on. Harder to, to get players to go there. But if you're looking at this glass half full, and again, Scott Frost is still the coach, hasn't been fired yet, obviously. But if they have to part ways from Scott Frost, if they're ponying up $20 million to part ways with him, there is a bit of freedom for the next guy that comes in that can say, we're going to hire Paul Koharski. He's done a great job at uh, Akron and he's going to come in and, and transform the program. If, Paul, you go into that job and you see Nebraska just fell on their face with their favorite son, they are desperate at that point. I can point. do anything I want. Yes, you can come in and say, all right, clean slate. That didn't work with the guy from here. I'm going to embrace all the traditions need to be embraced. I know what it takes to win football games. I've done it at different levels. I'm going to come in, implement my system, and we're going to get Nebraska back now. That clean slate, I think, can be freeing for a new coach. Again, maybe I'm being a little bit too uh, like optimistic jet. about it, no. but you're, you're right. also following up. It's not like you're following up Tom Osborne when he retires and the bar right. is so high. People on the YouTube chat, which is very active today, by the way, we love seeing that, saying their biggest mistake was firing Frank Solich after Tom Osborne. It's probably right, based on what Frank Solich went on to do at Ohio. And I know he recently retired, yep. but that's the tough act to follow. This is not a tough no. act to follow. Also, you're going to take that you're job. You're going to love Frost. me. I think this is a little bit unique to Nebraska, right? You're going to love me because I'm what you've got. Like you need whoever it is to succeed there, right? The distractions are less. The devotion to the program is more. There's a uniqueness to that. You know, at UT that you were talking about, there is more to draw your attention away. There is a risk of that fan base getting tired out more so than at Nebraska, I think. At Nebraska, that's it, right? Yeah, that's, that's, it. that's it. But I'll also say this, Paul. Again, this is me talking to some diehard Nebraska fans about this team and about this program. If this season continues the way it did in Champaign, Illinois, they are going to be just like Tennessee fans right now. Four letters. Wait. N-U-M-B. They will be numb to this. They are going to be wait and see. 
for the first time in the history of that program, it's not going to be as rabid. Fans are going to be committed, and they're going to go to games. They're going to want to see success. But much like you're seeing at Tennessee right now, there is a numbness about that program that you can't hurt us any more than we've already been hurt. And we're not going to get our hopes up. Well, you know, we've gotten our hopes up with every single coaching hire and gone over the top, optimistic about what's going to happen, and it hasn't worked. So I think a certain numbness does set in with your program, and I don't know that that's the worst thing. You don't want apathy, but and I don't know if you get the same sense with, with comparing Tennessee and Nebraska as former college football powers that could rise again. I think both are in similar boats, especially if they have to move on from Scott well, Frost. Well, if somebody's got to get in there and drill, you need to be numb. Yep, that's a good point. A lot of this, though, is going to take – it's not going to happen this coming week. I mean, they're, they're playing Fordham and then Buffalo in back-to-back weeks. And then they play Oklahoma at 11 a.m., which, oh, by the way, deserves to be an 11 a.m. kickoff now uh, when you see that the way that, that they played against Illinois. No one's going to be complaining about kickoff time anymore uh, for that rivalry matchup between Oklahoma I, I and Nebraska. Did a What's that? I did a little bit. Well, that the storyline previously was how how dare you put this yeah. game on at 11 a.m. as now a slap in the face to the fan base. Now maybe it should be on at nine. And now they're thinking, oh, deservedly so. Well, and Scott Frost didn't even want to play it. Right, right. I mean, you know, he, he wanted, wanted out of it. That was another out. big story. Was that he was trying to get out of that game. Uh, but they they have Nebraska will play Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Northwestern in back to back weeks after they get through these buy games, these purchase games where they should win against Fordham and against Buffalo. If they don't, look out. Well, <laughs> I mean, Buffalo, if Lance Leipold was still at Buffalo, <laughs> I would legitimately say look out. I was at a game with Scott Frost coaching Nebraska where they lost to Troy, and they lost convincingly early on. You know, I was in Lincoln to watch them lose that game. I think that was in year one under Scott Frost. But Buffalo's picked third in the MAC East. I believe. I'm not saying put them on upset alert right now, but Buffalo under Lance Leipold, that would have been a game. That would have been a toss-up, possibly, uh, the way Nebraska played on Saturday. And I'm going to give Brett Bielham a lot of credit because Illinois showed his personality in game one. That's a bad football team. That is not a good team. That's a team with a backup quarterback. And they are going to be made to look bad most weeks in the Big Ten. So that's, that's a good win. That them. game was mainly about what Nebraska wasn't than what Illinois is. But I will give them full marks that they have uh, adopted that Brett Bielema personality and attitude and play style that you saw at Wisconsin and what he tried to do at Arkansas in game one at Illinois. And they also put together a soul crushing, what, eight minute drive to open the second half of the game that was very Bielema Wisconsin like mm-hmm. in the way they opened up that second half. They finished up almost 10 minutes of time of possession. Hit us up on Twitter, at OutKick360. Numbers high today on streaming there. You can watch the show live there. Also on YouTube, one day left. Tomorrow, we draw a winner from the subscription base on YouTube. You go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, just search out OutKick360 there. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button, the, the alert button. That way you know we go live each and every day at 2 o'clock Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, and you can win the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. One lucky subscriber. Tomorrow at the end of the show, we're going to draw a winner. Uh, you get the Sony car stereo system with Apple CarPlay, the Hertz Audison speaker system. It's over a $2,500 value. We draw a winner tomorrow for all the subscribers Uh, on the base at Outkick360's YouTube channel. If you're subscribed there, you're automatically qualified to win. Coming up, is Deshaun Watson about to be traded to the Miami Dolphins? Charles Robinson has reported this. 
uh, that the Dolphins are the front runners here, along with a couple of other teams. And the Dolphins are refusing to acknowledge anything. Brian Flores has an interesting quote when you compare it to the type of person they would be trading for in Deshaun Watson in Houston. And we'll discuss Gardner Minshew to Philadelphia. Injuries this week, including J.K. Dobbins on what was the ninth snap, I believe, of the preseason game for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, terrible loss there. What do the Ravens now do? Are they involved in the trade market? Who's available at running back right now? We'll get into all that coming up on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 across the OutKick network, live from the 6th and Peabody studios with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant today, always doing a great job. Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, David Reed is the chairman of the board. Uh, shout out to Sleepy Danny as well. I believe he's pulling double duty today, Chad. Is with he? Becca out this week. So no naps. Danny wakes up and Jacob falls asleep. <laughs> what a weird development. I yeah, thought Danny would be the one to fall asleep at the wheel, not Jacob. Yeah, Crazy. Yeah. What a so, time to be alive. And our show's three hours and in the afternoon for the first time. So Deshaun Watson, uh, is he about to be traded to the Miami Dolphins? Two things come to mind here if this, this is the case. First... Watch out for the Dolphins as an AFC contender if, in fact, Watson lands with Miami. With the way that roster is built and the way they play defense with Brian Flores and the receiving options that they have, watch out. Number two, it goes against everything structurally that Brian Flores is building, like the mantra of the team if they trade for Deshaun Watson with everything that he's dealing with off the field. And you're asking yourself, well, what do you mean? Well, this is Flores as recent as today with the Associated Press. Here's his quote that Jacob has prepared for us uh, from the Associated Press, which I pulled from Pro, Pro Football Talk. There are a lot of things we weigh when we're making decisions, fit on the team, overall talent, salary cap. And this is Flores talking to the Associated Press. When we're talking about a player or players, we always are trying to do what's best for the Miami Dolphins. There are a lot of variables. We want a group that's tough, smart, competitive, loves to play, and is team first. Those are the types of guys we're looking for. We have a high standard for the people we have in this organization. And then here's the final sentence. We want people with high character throughout the building. That's the final quote from Coach Flores as they're uh, the front runner to trade for the Miami Dolphins and, and Deshaun Watson, according to Charles Robinson. Which makes it sound like it's a move that they simply can't make. Uh, and listen, if they bring him in, does he lift them to new heights? Is he far better than Tua? Ab absolutely. But how long is he on the field? You have this thing hanging over your head that any day can be the day that something happens in the, in the Houston court system that, that, uh, that, that well, he's called in. It depends what provisions are put into the trade itself because they still have Tua. Yes. They would not be trading Tua Tagovailoa away in this scenario because Houston just wants picks. But still, any and, day you could be pulling a quarterback that's leading you and going to Tua. I don't think that's a very comfortable scenario. So right now they're going with Tua. No, anyway. I know. But this is a scenario to me where it's just who guesses best. Somebody's getting lucky, right? Nick Casario doesn't even know him. He came in after this whole thing happened, right? So he doesn't know Deshaun Watson. Fitterer in Carolina doesn't know him. Greer and Flores in, in Miami don't know him. Some, everybody's rolling the dice here, But it's not right? really, it's not that big of a dice roll if you're Miami. 
Uh, if, 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 if you have provisions and protections in this trade where he has to play a certain amount of games before you would even have to give up picks in this trade, Houston knows he's, he's not playing for the Houston Texans. They know that. He's the fourth string quarterback right now going into week one of the regular season. If he has to play a certain percentage of the games before you would be able to hike over those, those trades, then Miami would be willing to do that. They have the, 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 the number of trades and the picks available for the trade that would make sense. I can explain that in a moment, how they're set up to make this deal. And beyond that, they still have Tua on the roster who's going into a second year of this offensive system that they, they're comfortable with at least enough to go into the season and not address that position in the draft when they could have. But Houston can conceivably say, we pay him 10 this year, he's worth a lot more next year if this all settles Or a lot less, though. Down. But if everything right, you're right, saying right, you're afraid about, Paul, that's... That's, that's the, the one that it could be worth a lot less. That's the dice roll from Casario. Wouldn't I don't Houston know have to do this, though, if they're going to trade him that, now? They're not going to make everything conditional so that you're giving up nothing. I mean, I, I've never, there's never been a trade with, like, three first-round conditional picks. This would be an unprecedented trade with the number of conditions on these picks. But let's, let's look at it from Houston's perspective. It seems to me like they would have to do this with the conditional part of it, that you he's to. eligible to play. And either way, you get rid of the guy you know is not going to be your quarterback, and you get something in return. Now, if he's not eligible to play, first off, he wasn't going to play for you anyways. And then if he's in real trouble, well, he's not playing for the Dolphins, and you're, you're not getting those picks, yes. But I just don't know any other way they're getting something in return. Well, all the reports Something are, legitimate in return for Deshaun Watson right now. All the reports are, do you wait and if things clear, you get a bounty after this season with a lot more suitors. Well, I think they're getting. You can't what's wait being reported is a bounty. They don't want to pay him ten million dollars to be the. He's already quit on the Houston Texans. He did that prior Before the trouble. Prior to all of this, he's out. And with what they're trying to build and rebuild in Houston, I mean, Houston's out. They're already trading Shaq Lawson this weekend. Uh, to the New York Jets. To replace Carl Lawson. Yeah, so, I mean, they're done. They have a bunch of veterans on one-year contracts. They're in rebuild mode, structurally. And they can't have Watson just hanging out there as the fourth-string quarterback. They're going to be paying, by the way, $10 million guaranteed. It, it, the, the best part about this, even if he doesn't play for Miami, is Houston, while the picks would hypothetically here be a conditional trade, you're still getting a team that would pick up his salary. That, that's the key part of this is he's off the books for you and you can move on. You have a fresh slate and you, you, you don't have to kick the can down the road for where this is all headed. And you're not you. You have the potential of getting something in return of this trade where who knows if you're able to, to trade him a year from now or in the off season whenever things go in front of the grand jury and, and there actually is more to be determined by the league and their investigation of Why all this. Why is his dead cap not coming up? I just called up Spotrack. You know what his dead cap is this year? $67 million. Uh, yeah, I don't know why that hasn't been mentioned. <laughs> they can't I mean, swallow he, $67 he million. Just, he just re-signed, uh, that he re-signed an extension last September, and now he's out with Houston. I think for Houston, it's a no-brainer, especially with what's being reported they would get in return with all those picks. It's a no-brainer. I also think it's a no-brainer that they're going to have to put in all of these conditions about his eligibility 
in order to make a move like this and get a haul like that, or even the possibility of a haul like that for a quarterback who doesn't want to be there and you don't want him there. So he's not going to be your quarterback either way. They're going to have to have those conditions in it. Now, from Miami's perspective, I think for every organization, college program, NFL team, whatever you want to say, there is a time where you have to make the call whether or not you're going to compromise your franchise or program for winning and winning big. I think that there's a, there's a, a nexus point for a lot of coaches in terms of culture, what they want, the hard line that then becomes a soft line with certain decisions that are being made. And you could look at it in any situation. It's how you handle the star player who's doing something against the team that you wouldn't stand for if it wasn't a star player. It's drafting a guy that maybe doesn't fit all your criteria of what you want. In college, it could be taking a chance on a high school kid that's a difference maker for your team that otherwise you normally wouldn't even speak to because it's going to be a problem or could be a problem or was a problem before. That's the decision now based on everything that Flores has laid out about the Dolphins, how he's built it, how he wants it to be run. Now, all of that laid out there, you sell your soul to the devil for Deshaun Watson. If you are the Miami Dolphins, now is the time. You are a Super Bowl contender with Watson at quarterback based on what you've built. I do think this is one of those moments where you take this chance and you trade for Deshaun Watson. Let me correct myself. So dead cap with a post-June 1st release would have been 50.9. Trade is only 5.4. So No, that's why they have to yeah, trade him. If they, can, if they can get rid of him, they, they can do, do wonders there on their books. And, and here's why the Dolphins would want him. He led the NFL in passing yards last season on a terrible team. Guess how many interceptions he threw last year? on one of the worst teams in the NFL? Not many. Seven. Under 10. 36 yeah. touchdown passes to seven interceptions on a terrible team. And you would see their record, and you'd think they were throwing it so much that maybe the interceptions would be a little bit higher. Not the case I with him. I think Carolina should get back in. He had 544 attempts. He led the league in passing yards. Patrick Mahomes was second in the NFL in passing yards. He threw 40 more passes than Deshaun Watson did and still did not surpass him in passing yards. David Tepper covets a franchise quarterback, a big gun quarterback. Now, he's not apparently willing to take the risk, but if you can – look, they're up against a deadline here too because they don't want him on their roster at the 53 mark tomorrow at 3 Central. And Carolina, to me, could get what they really want here if they feel all right about all the conditions. The price is going to come down. There's no way somebody's giving up three firsts and two seconds or whatever it is, no matter if there's a condition on every single one of those. Even if Deshaun Watson plays this entire well, year trouble-free, you're not getting that for him you have as to he's dig devalued in, now. You have to dig into what each team can actually offer. And why, and, and why Miami is able to do it when Carolina appears out right now. Carolina's out until the offer comes down. And the reason why is Miami, on the other hand, they have two first-round picks coming up next April. The following year, they have two more first-round picks. So they have four first-round picks over the next two years. They could conceivably trade one of those each year and still have a first-round pick and get Watson. They're still reaping the dividends of Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick and maybe one more that's not jumping to mind. They certainly uh, the, set the trade themselves they made up this year. Well, with which the 49ers. Draft pick trade. Oh, yeah. Trey Lance. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they are stocked in the draft. Really They smart. can make a move like this uh, and pay, pay Watson $10 million or whatever it might be, pick up his contract, and still have first-round picks left over to address bigger needs in the draft. And, oh, by the way, you pair him with Devontae Parker on the outside. They just drafted Jalen Waddell. Will Fuller is serving a one-game suspension but will be playing with one of his best friends in Deshaun Watson, a player that Deshaun Watson has pinpointed as a guy he wants to continue to play with and knows very well. They, they would be set up for him to come in and step right in and pick up where he left off in Houston. I mean, they're on a nice course without him. I, I think they're a oh, very reasonable wild card pick not, right yes. now. They're not Buffalo. Right. With Deshaun Watson, I think they're, they're standing toe-to-toe, slugging it out with Buffalo probably. I'd still well, favor Buffalo. Miami jumps Miami, right to the same, same level with Buffalo, Tennessee, Cleveland. Baltimore, I mean, they're right there chasing all, all Kansas City. Teams. But, yeah. again, right now they're – on the a wild card they're slipping into the the wild card playoff game and where they're potentially on the road week one of the postseason you know yeah, we barely team, mentioned well coached this whole time this discussion is their first round pick in their second year quarterback in Tua and the implications with him I mean obviously Deshaun Watson you go for the upgrade when you can but they do have a first round pick at quarterback on their roster currently that is you're doing something with him, and it's not and who, starting You him seem pretty definitive that he's not in this trade. I've seen some stuff that has him in this I don't, trade. I don't think, uh, based on what Houston appears to be doing, I don't think Houston would want a player in return. I mean, they, they've got three. Uh, Houston's trading away their talent. I don't think they want to pick up talent <laughs> based on what they're gunning for in the draft. That's how I read into it. That's why they want all these multiple picks. They want what? Two first-round picks, three, three second first, or two second day two is the picks, starting something. spot. They've got Terod Taylor, Jeff Driscoll, Davis Mills, and Deshaun Watson on their roster right now. Now, we know they've talked up those guys. Terod Taylor, you know, is a low-level starter. Uh, Driscoll is Driscoll. Davis Mills is, is, you know, an unknown. Philly's out of the mix after the trade that they made for Gardner Minshew. And they got him cheap. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that Jacksonville was going to trade him. I mean, the writing was on the wall. Even when they were trying to make that a quarterback battle, you could just tell they were going to ship Gardner Minshew out of Jacksonville, and and it was. You called this weeks ago. That yeah, that would be the, that would be the plus. This I'm was surprised. a this was a July talking point, and it was to me it was it was obvious based on the marketing aspect of this, where you have the number one overall pick, where it was a shoe in the, the minute that Jacksonville had the number one spot, they turned the card in for for Trevor Lawrence. That was never a quarterback battle, and it was only a matter of time before they could get Minshew out of there. I, I, I certainly don't think it was ever a battle, but I don't see why you don't keep a, a better backup. And I think if they waited until tomorrow afternoon, they could have upped the price, even from Philadelphia, but maybe they would have had more, uh, more suitors. I mean, maybe I, they I just... think Jacksonville's a little shaky on what they're doing in terms of the whole operation and values. It's a great get for Philly based on the price, yeah. right? I mean, I think it's a, a great move for Philly to get Gardner Minshew. And Gardner Minshew's not that good. But to me, what Gardner Minshew does is he's such a wild card when he gets in a game because he's so off script that he is the type of backup quarterback that can win a game for you when he comes in, even if you're behind. On electricity. Because, there, well, there's just no... The NFL is so much about preparation and being ready with a game plan. And he is so off script that it's sort of... If you're midstream putting in Gardner Minshew, it can kind of throw things off. 
because he's a curveball. You don't know where he's going to be. He plays very different. So I do think that that's an upgrade, you know, for a backup for most teams across the league. He's not a starter no. in the league. But the price was so low to get him. I think it makes perfect sense for Philly. Um, the only thing I can see of, you know, you got to get rid of him if you're Jacksonville. I thought the price tag would be better. Yeah, they, I, thought, I thought there was a good chance they were going to trade him too. I thought the price tag might be better. Maybe it's a bit of a distraction. You know, maybe all the number two talk uh, this offseason, they didn't like that as much. Maybe they were actually telling him to talk like that so they could drive up the price for him and make it look like it was a legitimate competition when everyone knew that it wasn't. I don't know. But I thought they might get a little bit more in return for Gardner Minshew, honestly. So who's their backup now? Jake Luton. Yeah, former draft pick, a low draft pick just like Minshew was. Yeah. Um, new regime in Jacksonville. Lawrence All- looked great, by the way. What's that? Lawrence looked great in the finale. Yeah, two touchdown passes against Dallas. Uh, He he looked a lot better. Ready to go. Uh, Look, part of this was Minshew is very open and honest behind the scenes. And, you know, he he was saying he wasn't even taking a number two because he wasn't anything number two related uh, for the backup job didn't cross his mind. Uh, That's mild compared to what storylines could be out there as a rookie quarterback. Uh, starts to take some lumps and go through the course and the bumpy road that's the first NFL season for any rookie. Trevor Lawrence is about to go through that. And Minshew is a fan favorite in Jacksonville. Uh, Just walk through the town and see the marketing aspects of it. It's Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew. And I I mentioned it's a bit odd to walk through an airport in Jacksonville where every sign in the building is Minshew-related and Minshew-mania. It's just, it's weird. And it, that was the case even after they drafted Lawrence. They had not turned over all that stuff. They didn't even name him the starter until a week ago, which is also bizarre. Uh, they trade away Minshew. Uh, they, by the way, I agree with everything you guys are saying about the value. Philly gets, what, a, six, a conditional sixth-round pick in exchange for Minshew, who's perfectly capable of coming in and filling in in a moment's notice and in a week's notice if you need him to start. Joe Flacco is not a fit in Philly for that offensive system. Minshew was. And I should also throw out that the reason why Philly made sense is because who Philly has in their front office now. Former Jacksonville Jaguars general manager Dave Caldwell facilitated this trade and knows Minshew extremely well and and drafted him for a low-value pick, what, sixth-round pick uh, a handful of years ago. So all things considered, it was pretty easy to link up Philly. I didn't do it then. But I knew Minshew was on his way out. You could just, it was just very telling how they were handling all of that. And with the number one overall pick with Lawrence, I just didn't see Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence's football mentality fitting with the Minshew mania style. They're doing all, everything anti whatever was there previously. That's why Minshew's out the door. And that's why they're moving on. Conditional six-round pick. Yeah, was the price tag for Gardner Minshew. Mark my words right now, he will start multiple games in Philly Here's the before thing, his too. career in Philly is over. And that's not a statement of Gardner Minshew's greatness. That's a statement of a shaky quarterback yeah. situation in Philly. But I believe he's going to end up starting multiple games because of injury, because of poor play. But he's going to be in there starting games. That's a, great, that's a great deal for Philly. Here's the thing about Minshew. Very few backup quarterbacks come into the game without a letdown, mm-hmm. right? The shoulder sag, the body posture, all of that. Minshew, I got electric sockets over here. He's a guy that could come in and juice a team up with the, the way he is. 
with his personality. There's value in that. There's sure. value in that that's bigger than a conditional sixth. Agreed. Well, what's his salary? He's still on rookie third year minimum, right? I mean, no, I thought they signed him into an extension. I thought he got an extension too. Let me, no, let me check that. I mean, if they got to sign him to an extension, that's good too. It's not going to be very expensive. I, I thought that's what happened. I thought this was I last year, possibly, is whenever this took place. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah, but they with, with Lawrence, they they have the rookie, they have the the franchise quarterback. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they were only talking about an extension with him. But I, I'm pretty sure that they signed him to something. Four-year 2.7 deal they signed him to, and according to Spotrack. Also, uh, really weird um, weird timing here. But they, they have a guaranteed contract oh, that's his initial with contract. Joe Flacco. They have Flacco on a $3.5 million guaranteed base this season. They're not going to be able to move him. Uh, so they're either keep him around as the third string guy because again, watching him play in the preseason, uh, he wasn't terrible, but he's just not a fit for that offensive system. Yeah, Minshew and Hurts fit that system a lot better. Flacco uh, gets caught. If somebody picks him up as a two, he's got a better thing. If not, he'll be their veteran guy in a practice squad if they want him and have COVID fears. Minshew's only making eight fifty this year. He's oh, okay, so that, yeah, it's very reasonable then. That's an easy trade. It's his rookie deal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were only talking about an extension, I guess. Uh, last year at this time. Smart that they didn't. Yeah, exactly. Well, and they saw themselves on the horizon, the number one pick or top three pick anyway, knowing that it was a good quarterback draft. Coming up, Roger Goodell and uh, sports gambling, sports betting. How far they've come. Oh, the, six years ago, we'll, we'll read you what Goodell said about sports gaming, sports betting uh, across the country and, and across his league. And what the league announced today. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Back at it with Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Crew all here today. Aaron Wilson, um, who formerly worked for the Chronicle, right? He's at Houston radio station or radio station's website now, I believe. And then, oh, yes, and then previously, not the Chronicle, previously worked for the Ravens and the Baltimore Sun. And the Chronicle. Uh, uh, okay, and the Chronicle. Uh, he tweets out that the Texans are prepared to have Deshaun Watson on the 53-man roster and inactive every week. Watson, who has issued a standing trade request with no deal imminent, would be paid $10.54 million in salary. Um, I want to pull up Charles Robinson's tweet real quick, who, again, doubled down on his reporting about all of this. Um, and Charles says, Robinson has a, a, you know, a very good record. I mean, he's well Can't sourced. state it any more clearly. My Watson reporting is from high-level sourcing in five teams. Dolphins, Texans, Broncos, Eagles, Panthers, and inside Watson's camp. I challenge the Dolphins to state on the record that they haven't spoken to Houston about a Watson deal in camp. That wow. from Charles Robinson. That's aggressive. That is throwing um, the gauntlet down right there. Well, what I challenge this, them. Yeah, this is straight posturing. This, to me, is no different than Jacksonville trying to claim that Gardner Minshew was in the running for a starting job over Trevor Lawrence in week one. This is posturing by the Texans, putting the message out there through the media that they're prepared to make him inactive and would rather pay him $10.5 million than trade him for anything less than a couple first-round picks. Armando Sagaro, by the way, wrote also, who covers, you know, he's based in, in the Miami area and covers the Dolphins primarily. He'll, he'll join us tomorrow, and by he, the way. He, he said, you know, they, it, it, Flores was given every chance in the last day or two since this surfaced to, to dismiss it and tiptoed around it. 
you know, if you're given a chance to quash it and you don't quash it, there's a reason that you don't quash. <laughs> well, the reason also is that you tiptoe around it and don't say there are a number of reasons, but you still have a first-round pick in Tua that if the deal doesn't go through, you got to have him do something for you, and you don't want to completely burn that bridge by publicly talking about your desire to make a deal with Houston to bring in Deshaun Watson just on the chance that it doesn't go through. Well, he can't say anything like that because he can't talk about a player right. on another team. But he can talk about not wanting the player on the other team very assertively. Or double down on Tua. Yeah, That's or do, do right. Any of those things. There are countless ways that he could make it clear that they don't want this to happen. And he didn't take any of those countless ways. <laughs> he just respond with that, you know, typical, my team's on the field. <laughs> this is my group. Right, I want to talk, about, talk about these guys. He did say one of those things. That have been giving us did, their yeah. all I want to talk about this fourth string running back who played so well this week. And I want to <laughs> well, talk about this. I want to talk about and that. And then he said, and, and I'll talk about... You know, guys who didn't even dress tonight. <laughs> <Right. laughs> You're going to have Tua then coming in and crying like T.O. about, that's my coach. That's my coach out there. I, he's almost channeling the, I can see him channeling Gene Hackman and Hoosier saying, that's my team's on the field. It's a little, my team's on the field. So we play, we'll play with four instead of putting that guy back while, in the game in basketball. While we're talking about this, we should reference what Vrabel's been doing in Nashville. He's, he's been on Zoom recently because he's out with co- positive COVID tests, and he's really been hamming it up. He said absolutely nothing, and then he's like, no more questions? I, I've got a lot of time. I can talk to you guys for a long time. We could clarify a lot of things. I'll, I'll sit here and not answer as many questions as you guys want to ask. We are going to get into that in the uh, Tennessee Power Hour for sure because I actually heard the, uh, the exchange today with you and, and Mike Vrabel. David Culley's quote on Watson today following practice was – This guy, his, talk about somebody with nothing ooh. to say. Uh, <laughs> he could say the same about his job status, quite frankly. He says his, Watson's roster status is, quote, day to day. This guy, I feel bad. Yeah, well, aren't we all, though? I mean, he's Zach Coley, so, I mean, this guy is absolutely. Look, we're changing times on this show. He's absolutely powerless, and they yeah. roll him out there every day. I don't know when it's the t- last time Casario. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know or Casario or McNair has spoken, but they roll Coley out there every day to look like a fool, and he just says whatever they either told him or they say, well, say nothing, and he just. Think about, like, he waited, he waited as long as Bruce Arians waited to get a head coaching job, and then. This is the job he inherits. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I feel like he's Lou Taylor from Major League. <laughs> like, they were just hiring him to get fired. I mean, this is all a big scam to just bring in this sacrificial lamb that can Look take the brunt of the embarrassment of having to answer questions as the Houston Texans like head Lasso coach in the degree. midst of the Deshaun Watson Without deal. The charm. That you're bringing him in just to eventually ax him, and this poor guy is basically taking a check to look like a fool every day answering questions and knows that it is, uh, as Armando Salguero told us last week, this is well, the, the, they hired him to be the future ex coach of the Texans. That he is the, the future, and everybody said, oh, well, that's everybody. And get, no. Armando's saying that as in after this they season, have, he's yeah. going to be fired. They have zero nucleus as a football organization, it's not pathetic. just a team. And they're going to be have strong terrible. Leadership. They're going to be, te- they've got like, by the way, Lou Brown, guys, Lou Brown, not Lou Taylor. 40 I 40 guys the on one year no, contracts Lou. or something no, like that. I mean, the turnover coming for this team after this year is unbelievable. I mean, they've got no foundational stuff. I'm also convinced that David Coley may have been selling tires like Lou Brown was before he took that job. 
uh, with the Texans. That's how obscure this guy has been, even though he's been around the league forever. It's, yeah, it's he's a, been a, it is an unwinnable situation, and I'm, I'm joking about his yeah. status and what he's saying. He's a nice I guy. don't know what any of us oh, he's a great would guy. be able to say yeah. in that spot yeah. when you're dealing with well, that management structure, that roster, that Deshaun Watson yeah. situation, now with the feds getting involved. It's an unwinnable spot. Well, those people. The, yeah. He took yeah. the job with Watson wanting out. And he was refusing to talk with anybody. Complicated already. And he, so Cully took the job, and then he was quoted as saying he's going to try to reach out to the guy and talk to him and try to you know, get him in and, and start the relationship building process. And then the civil lawsuits happen. 22. And, and then you, you have the uncertainty about what the NFL is going to do. And you go into camp, you have Terod Taylor as your starter. All of a sudden, Watson shows up. No one thought he was going to show up. And he shows up to training camp to avoid the $50,000 fine. So you have to maneuver this where he goes through individual drills every day, and then that's it. You shut him down. He does not participate in your team activities. But yet he's in the locker room on a daily basis. And he's walking the halls on day one, making it known that he doesn't want to be there. Um, It's it's a bizarre situation for a first-time head coach, uh, first-year head coach, where I I agree with you guys. He's, He's dead man walking. Um, and he, he, there's no pulse whatsoever within the organization or the, no structure to build around because all their veterans that they brought in are all on these one-year contracts. Um, we'll get into J.K. Dobbins and the injury with Baltimore uh, coming up in the second hour. But first, uh, the tweet from Roger Goodell, a quote from Roger Goodell from a tweet in 2015, I believe. Um, this from Albert Breer, quote, We've been very open about our position that we oppose legalized sports gambling. We haven't changed our position on that. I don't anticipate us changing that going forward at all. This was from 2015. Uh, Today, the NFL announced deals with FoxBet, BetMGM, PointsBet, and WinBet. Um, That is show me the money defined for you in one tweet. And these deals were announced on some level before. No, no. The NFL allowed their broadcast partners to push uh, it. To push it. Only one commercial per quarter from partner, whatever. Look, it's good for the league that so many people are interested on the betting level. It's going to impact the viewership numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Thank God that they didn't get, I can't remember what the fee they wanted. What did they call it? A a dignity fee, whatever, like a we'll keep the sport clean for you fee that they wanted from all of the things. It's like ticket Anti-corruption fee. Yeah. Do they do that in Russian fee. table tennis also? Because I've really been losing my ass betting on that. I really think something might be up with that. I need a dignity fee on that. Those matches are all <laughs> dignity is wrong. Uh, I dignity fee was my like made-up up word. Got to clean up the sport of Russian table tennis because I'm losing so much on that. Uh, that would be dignity the only fee. thing that makes it more preposterous was the idea this that the NFL was going to get a cut of our bets this on is, the NFL. This is completely anticipated by the NFL. And you knew this is where everything was going to go, and it's been going that way for a while. But this is why you don't take hardline stances. If never. you're Roger Goodell We're or anything. But in 2015, I understand if this was 1914 and it was, or 1918, it was Kennesaw Mountain Landis and Major League Baseball making a statement like that. This was 2015. Sports gambling was a thing in 2015. <laughs> Roger Goodell is sounding all pious. Well, we would never. No, we're completely out on sport. Don't say that. Just leave the option open. I don't care what you're asked. You always say, well, right now our stance is this, but 
everything's constantly changing, and we're going to be we're going to look out what's best it for the changed. NFL in the future and do th- that way. You don't whenever, have this freezing cold take that's put out there by it Albert. It changed Greer. when Oakland didn't get the extension on or uh, did not get approval for a new stadium, and they went to Vegas. That's when all of this changed for the NFL when they put the pro franchise in Las Vegas. Look, it looks silly. It's not as bad as Tagliabue on concussions. Right, and no real repercussions. Oh, yeah, I'm not trying to compare it to that yeah, by any means. It's just a lot of guys have said a lot. The landscape has completely changed. Yeah, but there uh, are there are fast. Some things things that you change have to fast take a, now. You yes. have to take a hard line stance on certain things. That's I don't think sports betting in 2015 so what would that was be? the hill to die on. What would be the hard line stance that he could take right now that he shouldn't? It's anti-death. That's it. I mean, that right now that eventually, um, you know, league-wide cannabis use. Uh, recreationally, maybe well, they're no longer even testing for that. Well, yeah, they do, but, it, but I'm, you're I'm not saying, suspended. You're not suspended if you test positive. They test for it, but there's no you go penalty. Into the program, maybe. I, mean, I don't know what it That's is a good now. Question. Tell us on the YouTube channel like, on, you, on the Twitter. You chat. could say. Uh, I mean, they would never say that they're not going to play internationally because they're already trying to Just do that. Just don't right. take hardline stances, generally speaking. Leave doors open. Well, I mean, he's even opening up the door for uh, the Bills leaving Buffalo. And leaving Western well, New York. Well, they always do that to manipulate Buffalo the, will cave. the chances. Yeah, they're going to get what they want, and, and they're going to stay. And I hope they do. They, there needs to be a team in Western New York and NFL. That, that needs Look, to stay. I think there does, too. But a city like Buffalo, I don't remember the last time we were there, Hut. Some of these cities that are dying Four years ago. where people are moving away from, it's hard to sustain a team there and get now that Tim Graham, our friend, has written very well about what the tax burden is there. Really, is not nearly. I don't know. What it's, They've what it's been. They have made plenty of bodies going through burning tables every week there. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, the fan base is the fan base is passionate, but the so numbers are there. not are not what they could be elsewhere. And I'm just saying, like, what numbers though are you talking about? Well, they're going to fill a stadium, but the numbers of people willing to pay the, the tax bill are uh, the population numbers. Coming up in an hour, Tennessee Power Hour will include a lot on the Tennessee Titans. We will get into the depth chart of the volunteers as well. Tennessee Power Hour today at 4 o'clock. It will also include, uh, and we'll show this on the screen at that time, the Titans have sent out an emailed apology to season ticket holders for gate issues. Yes. That continues to happen at Nissan Stadium. Um, they sent out their apology. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this uh, as well. That's also coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour. When we come back, injuries from the preseason, uh, how it's going to affect certain teams and your fantasy team, for that matter. We'll start with J.K. Dobbins. That's next in hour number two. Chad, how many hours today? Three. Hour Three number hours, two honey. is next on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.